In a world of uncertainty, one thing is for sure. Cancer doesn't stop during a global crisis. On Saturday, June 13th, the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society, LLS, will host a trailblazing event, Big Virtual Climb, sponsored by AbbVie, to support their investment in groundbreaking research to advance blood cancer cures and its first-in-class patient education and services, including financial support and clinical trial navigation. Step up to take cancer down by climbing 61 floors or 1,762 steps, inside or outside, on stairs, on the road, or your treadmill, climb your way. Join us for an opening ceremony and then take on your climb with our heart-pumping playlist. Join us on June 13th from coast to coast as we come together to climb, conquer, cure. Register at lls.org slash bigclimb. Hey, what's going on? Welcome to the Raptors Reasonless Podcast. I'm your host, Blake Murphy. Joining me on the line, as always, Eric Kareen. Eric, what's up, buddy? Not too much. Blake, what's going on? Not a lot, man. How are you doing? I don't know. That's a complicated question. Sure um, is. You know, I, I've been lower. I've been higher. It's, you know, C, C plus range, maybe. Extra medium. All right. <laughs> Uh, hanging in there. Uh, uh, it was nice to get some nice weather. That was good. But I, I know the the weather banter doesn't do particularly good in terms of our numbers. So I'll uh, doesn't do particularly well. Good. No, maybe the, I, maybe I, grammar banter is the better way to go here. Um. Yeah. Uh, that was that's a disappointing mistake for me. But I'm going to try and uh, take it one sentence at a time and and really try to find my momentum and uh, carry over to the next sentence. Yeah, keep your stick on the keyboard, you know, play play a 200-foot game. Mm-hmm. Good Lord willing, the uh, the next grammatical error will be a small one. Yeah, yeah, and you always want to learn from your grammatical errors, too. Uh, before we discuss basketball stuff, you use the quarantine time to finish a community rewatch, is that correct? That is correct. Uh, I had never seen season six before. Um it, you know, it just, with so much of the cast gone, it feels different. And, and Abed in particular, like without Troy there to provide some, um, Donald Glover's Troy, obviously, to provide some, uh, I don't know what the right word is, but he, I don't know if he grounded Abed, but he, he made his presence seem more tolerable and, and like you understood more why people would want to be around him. And I think without without somebody who was so enthusiastic about his presence, it seemed like he was going off into... Uh, he seemed more apart from the group than usual. Uh, and it's just the sixth season of a sitcom, right? It's hard to hard to do that um, particularly well, uh, but... Uh, it's understandable. Uh, if, you, if you zoom ahead to the 2023 version of Raptors Reasonableist podcast where it's only one of us and... They've replaced yeah. the other one with some character that has no history and no natural fit or chemistry. Yeah, the podcast uh, probably wouldn't be as popping as it is. Yeah, they had some good episodes. I don't want, to, and the finale I thought was was very strong. But I don't know after after Donald Glover leaves the show, uh, though that was sort of the end of the peak potential for me. Uh, so they did some creative stuff. I enjoyed it. Uh, got a little teary eyed at a few times in the in the finale and. Uh, some episodes that I, I forgot, uh, but 
overall, the six, I, I wasn't missing. There are no Pantheon episodes in the sixth season, let's just say. That's that's for sure. I recently finished a Friday Night Lights rewatch, which was a lot of fun. Um, you know, that that show also has some some lows, which is, I think, even more natural for a show that uh, has to recycle or has to rotate in and out characters because uh, it's a show about kids in high school and you can only fudge how many years, you know, you can only retcon that all the kids were sophomores in the first season uh, <laughs> for so many characters. Rig- Riggins uh, being a sophomore uh, in the first season, uh, uh, like, obviously this is retcon, is uh, one of the great, uh, you really have to suspend disbelief there. Yeah, um, but it's good. And it's one of the uh, better sports themed shows, which if you've been looking at uh, not the Athletic Raptors page, but if you've been looking at the Athletic in general, uh, we have been discussing things like the best uh, sports themed TV episodes, the best sports themed shows overall, uh, the best sports movies and things like that. So you can go to theathletic.com. Uh, or theathletic.com slash any of the leagues to see those. I provided some blurbs on uh, two episodes of Frasier, the episode of Friends where John Favreau, who is Monica's rich, rich boyfriend, uh, decides to become a UFC fighter and goes 0-3 over the course of like two weeks. Uh, and uh, a Married with Children episode that's basically like a spoof on every historic baseball movie. Eric, you contributed some stuff for that series as well, right? I was on the Simpsons list. Uh, I, I talked about two episodes, both featuring cameos from Joe Namath. Um, I, w- I wrote a blurb about Glow, and I'm on the. Uh, I wrote about Community, the physical education episode where uh, Jeff and his old school teacher uh, talk about or are playing pool, and uh, his teacher is trying to get Jeff out of the mind space that playing pool is not about looking cool. Um, is that the one where they end up playing in their underwear? Uh, yes. Uh, Spoiler. It, sorry. Yeah. No. It's 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 okay. It's it's a lot of fun that episode. I like that. It's not like a big satire slash homage episode, so it doesn't get remembered as much. But it's just like really funny and uh, uh, plays to a a big set piece ending. And then you also the B story is. Uh, Abed having a white lookalike, uh, uh, and so there's white Abed and brown Joey, um, which is good fun. Good stuff. And you guys thought this community banner wasn't going anywhere, and here I am leading it into us plugging articles at the Athletic. By the way, Artful. if you are Artful. only a list- yes. If you're only a listener and are not yet subscribed to The Athletic, you can go to theathletic.com slash we the six, that's the number six, for 40% off of a subscription uh, now and for a while longer. I'm sure theathletic.com slash we the six. You will also find on theathletic.com a written version of Raptors Reasonless that came out on Thursday between Eric and myself, where we discuss something you probably care a lot more about than Eric's takes on a community rewatch, which is how some of the return to play formats being kicked around affect the Raptors. As a little bit of background, there have been a lot of reports uh, since the last episode of this podcast, our own Shams Trania was the first to report uh, that Orlando is most likely to act as the host city for the remainder of the season at the Disney um, kind of ESPN Wild World of Sports Complex. That's something that Keith Smith of Yahoo Sports first outlined a couple weeks ago as the best uh, possibility, and it seems like the NBA is in agreement with him. Shams also reported that the league has sent a survey out to general managers asking their opinion on a wider range of potential 
Uh, things like, you know, how many teams should come back? Should we finish regular season games? What about modifying the playoffs? Uh, on Tuesday morning, ESPN's Ramona Shelburne quoted Michelle Roberts, who's the executive director of the Player Association, saying that players overwhelmingly want to continue the season, uh, but there are a lot of questions still to answer. In the time that's followed, some of the um, suggested proposals have been leaked. Kevin O'Connor of The Ringer outlined the kind of World Cup playoff format idea, where instead of returning directly to a bracket, uh, 20 teams or perhaps 24 would be placed into pools where they play each other twice. Um, Zach Lowe and Adrian Wojnarowski of ESPN have gone into some other scenarios being kicked around, including uh, reseeding 1-16 to across the two conferences, since there's no... Uh, travel concern, which has been kind of the biggest sticking point uh, in a one to sixteen reseeding, other than you know the competitive balance and the East not wanting to vote in favor of it. <laughs> other than <laughs> never being able to get two thirds of, I think that's what's necessary: two thirds yes. of the board of governors to vote in favor because uh, seeds four through fifteen at the East will be like, nah, sorry, no. Nah. So. As you might expect, with all of these different proposals being kicked around, and first of all, it, it makes all the sense in the world that Adam Silver and the NBA are exploring a number of possibilities. You are not going to satisfy all 30 teams. Any proposal you throw out there is going to be perceived to disproportionately affect um, one team negatively or one team positively. You know, if you add extra playoff teams uh, or create a play-in tournament, that adversely affects Memphis, unless you're of the mind that Memphis not having to play their toughest quarter of the schedule adversely affected the Pelicans. Um, if you, you know, if you do the pool format, maybe that at least uh, the version of that that Kevin O'Connor of the Ringer did as an example, which people have like, I think people ran with as that was the proposal. And I think Kevin O'Connor was just doing a theoretical. Anyway, that one looked really bad for the Raptors and benefited some other teams um, in terms of balance. And then, you know, the more you add on at the end here, the less value is put on the 64, 65 regular season games that we've completed and so on. There's There are 30 teams and there are probably five or six different incentive groups that those teams could fall into. So you're not going to make everyone happy. You're probably not going to make Raptors fans happy no matter what, because whatever the league decides, it'll be perceived that uh, the league is against them and trying to prevent the title repeat that everyone obviously knows was well in progress. Uh, Eric, let's talk about some of these specifics. Let's talk about first how you feel about where the NBA is at in general. I think I don't think we need to belabor the point that I would hope everyone trusts at this point that while we would be excited to get NBA basketball back, we only want that done in a safe and responsible manner and all that stuff. Um, that aside, what is your feeling on the the current reports and where we are in the process? Um, I guess my biggest question is what happens if somebody tests positive inside the bubble? And I know that Early on, they were say, there were reports of Adam Silver trying to tell the players and his owners that we have to be prepared to go on if there's one positive test. Like, this, it can't be a thing, you know, if we're just going to shut down immediately, uh, then we have to rethink whether we can restart it in the first place. Uh, so that's my biggest question. But in terms of the process, it seems like they're being pretty... Uh, detail-oriented. Uh, we already saw hockey come back with with its plan, and the NBA certainly wasn't rushing to be first to the first of the major leagues to uh, announce how it would return, uh, which they could have. And I'm not saying hockey did it in a foolhardy fashion. I, I think, you know, while I do have some 
issues with it. I think their their uh, format makes more or less makes sense for how the hockey playoffs tend to work and and for where the league was at the time of the break. And I think that's what the NBA is trying to figure out. It's, you know, first of all, there's the money equation, which we talked about in the written form. And, you know, if they need to get to a certain number of regular season games and if they need to appease the regional sports networks, then all of a sudden you're losing a major safety, like like you're you're probably taking safety. Um, you're not doing the optimal thing for safety, um, or or even in you know any sort of positive. Uh, you're you're not you're not prioritizing it. I guess is what I'm trying to say. So they have to figure out a balance, and I think most of the proposals we're hearing is them trying to strike that balance and them trying to limit the teams that are taking place to the teams that honestly had a shot at making the playoffs. Um, and I, I think that's why we're hearing so many formats that would include, you know, 19 or 20 teams as opposed to 30 teams. Uh, and, and then, of course, there's the very real possibility that it just ends up being 16. So, I, th- you know, I think they're being responsible and... Uh, I've been, I'm pretty optimistic based on the way they're talking and even the timeline, which now seems like, you know, late July for a restart. Like that's, uh, that seems it's later than I would have thought like two weeks ago, but you know, the more you hear about it, you know, the, the, the discretion that they're taking and the caution that they're taking is obviously should be, uh, complimented and and praised and should be the name of the game going forward. I will answer your one question of what happens if a player tests positive. Uh, if it's a player of note and importance, uh, re- you know how people have long held, and, and this got refreshed during the last dance, the conspiracy theory that Michael Jordan was actually suspended during his time off and, and it wasn't a voluntary um, leave, uh, which yeah. is obviously uh, probably a nonsense. Not probably. It's a, it's a nonsense conspiracy theory. Uh, but you're going to see something like a top player, like tear an MCL or, or get a high ankle sprain or something like that. And you'll get the conspiracy theories that they actually tested positive and there's trying to be a cover up. Yes, because that would, that would be worth it for, that would be great PR if that ever came out. Um, I mean, look, I, I'm not saying that's actually. No, I, I understand. I'm saying the conspiracy yeah. theories are going to be there. No, you're uh, quickly, you're you're right. That is what would happen, and it would be super annoying. Uh, quickly, before we get to a guest, Eric, if the league returned to a one to it returned with no regular season games and went to a one to sixteen format, the Raptors' path to the finals would involve the Grizzlies, the winner of the Nuggets and Pacers, and then the winner of the Lakers region, which would probably be the Lakers. This instead of if they returned. Uh, With the standings as is, uh, they would play in a standard East and West format. They would play the Nets, and then they would play the Celtics or 76ers, and then they would likely play the Bucks. Uh, Do you think one side of that or one of those options is easier than the other, or is it just novel to get three Western Conference teams on the path to the finals instead of some teams that you're a little more familiar with? I think it's a shade easier with the reseeding. So you got three West teams versus what would be their most likely path in in the East. Um, I mean, Denver's always the mystery. They're they're so different and they're so style and, and they're you know almost stylistically unique with how they run their offense. 
uh, and I just going, don't think they're as good as the Celtics or, I, I don't like, think or the 76ers yeah, when yeah, things are clicking. Yeah, I don't think they're as talented as those teams, but there does – and because you have Marc Gasol, you have to feel comfortable guarding, you know, pretty much any dominant big man. So as you Are can, you suggesting guarding, they're not going to run back OG Ananobi guarding Nikola Jokic <laughs> after no, the uh, – No, no. And that, that's the thing. Like the one game the Raptors had against the Nuggets this year, both Ibaka and uh, – Gasol Gasol. were out of the lineup and they what was it OG and Pascal was the starting front court yeah it might have been Rondé I don't Hmm. remember anyway it did not go well um and that I I think I put that as either the number one or number two performance against individual performance against the Raptors this year uh when I did my is a fancy triple double with a bunch of full full court touchdown (laughs) passes um he's a special player but ultimately I think the Celtics certainly have more talent two through six or two through seven than than the Nuggets. And um, I mean, the Lakers and the Bucks, you're splitting hairs. It's, uh, you know, there's enough people here that have uh, in Toronto who have nightmares of those Raptors, Lakers, uh, or Raptors Cavs series, I should say, uh, you know, the Raptors wouldn't be favored in, in that series. Uh, but I, I do think, you know, given the way the Raptors have changed since then. And, uh, you know, I, I'm still not all season long. I wasn't super in love with the Lakers depth. Uh, I'm still not, that might not matter when you have LeBron James and Anthony Davis. It didn't matter when you just had LeBron James and Kevin Love. So <laughs> in the Raptors case, uh, but I, I think ultimately Milwaukee, you know, gets the nod as, you know, along with the Clippers, the best or the most complete two teams in the NBA and to not be on their side of the bracket, I think would be a positive for the first round matchups. The Grizzlies are probably a bit friskier than the Nets, even certainly more fun. Yeah. Even if the Nets have Kyrie Irving, who, you know, can win one or two games on his own. Uh, I'm assuming Kevin Durant's not coming back in that scenario, which is what his people have put out the whole time. Uh, But in any scenario, save for one where Durant is back and healthy, the Raptors should be strong favorites in that in their first round series. So, yeah. I put more of an em- emphasis on the potential second and third rounds, and I think that's slightly favor. It's slightly easier going through the reseeding path. Yeah, Lakers, Bucks, Giannis, or LeBron is a tough decision. Would you rather abandon Eric Bledsoe on the perimeter or Rajon Rondo? That's that's <laughs> more or less what that comes down to. Uh, as this news is heating up, we will continue to update you here and put the Raptor scope on things. Also heating up, me. My air conditioning is broken right now. Oh, no. Uh, thankfully, thankfully, I'm alone because smelling good is usually pretty important. Luckily, Hawthorne smells really good and getting Hawthorne cologne is so easy. It also makes for a perfect Father's Day gift for your dad, especially if his air conditioning is also broken. Whether it's for yourself or your dad or anyone else, take a quick two-minute quiz and Hawthorne tells you the two colognes that are best for you, one for work and one for play. It's totally risk-free with free shipping and free returns. Check out Hawthorne at Hawthorne.co. That's Hawthorne with an E and .co, not .com. Hawthorne.co. Use my promo code, THEATHLETIC, to get 10% off your first purchase. That's Hawthorne.co, and use promo code, THEATHLETIC, to get 10% off your first purchase. Hawthorne.co. Coming up, we are going to turn things from uh, a Raptors focus, or at least a Raptors near-term focus, to a Raptors longer-term focus, bringing on for the second time on the podcast, Raptors 905 head coach, Jama Malalela, to talk about the 905 season, what he'd normally be doing right now in the pre-draft process, and O'Shea Brissett. 
All right, we're joined now by Raptors 905 head coach for the second time on the podcast, Jamma Malalela. What's going on, man? Hey, Blake, how you doing? How's things? Uh, how's you, how are you doing? How's your family and everything? Uh, pretty good. I mean, as good as you can hope for in kind of all this, managing to stay productive and stay pretty positive, and everyone on the family side is healthy so far, so thankful for that. How about you guys? Yeah, same thing. You know, I got two young kids and we're sort of really making this a, a special family time. We're, we're trying to do as much as we can as a family each and every day. We don't really have much choice uh, <laughs> and we're just immersing ourselves in it. It's been, uh, you know, I think in, every, in any sort of difficult situation, you have to find the silver lining. And, and for sure, for me and, and for, I think for a lot of us coaches, uh, a chance to be with our families like on a very regular basis is just valuable. We don't get it. We probably will hopefully never get it again. Uh, so taking advantage of it. Please tell me if I'm making this up, but your wife is uh, is at least trained as a teacher, right? Correct. Yeah. So she uh, she is a teacher, which helps a lot. Like we've got uh, we've got all these boards up and these alphabet things everywhere, and the whole house is turned into a classroom. So it's pretty good. Now, have you also injected elements of your teaching, and you have the kids? You know, in the mornings they're doing schoolwork, and then in the afternoon they're they're running drills. We definitely have, a, we got a little soccer pitch that we, we set up. We got the basketball hoop going. We do some, uh, you know, skipping games, interactive phys ed games, right? I'm a trained teacher too. So we're, <laughs> the kids are definitely getting, uh, getting, uh, they're getting a good education. I'll say that for sure. They certainly sound more active than I've been too. So <laughs> <laughs> no, it's been fun. It's cra- I mean, it's, it's actually wild when you're with them all day and you realize how much energy they actually use in the course of a day. Like it's, it's constant. We're definitely tired. We're, me and my wife are wiped out by the end of it, but uh, hopefully we've tired them out too. So that's good. Yeah, it sounds like you guys are taking the right approach with it. I don't have kids myself, but the friends with kids, it's a, it sounds like the same kind of, you know, everyone's in the same kind of boat with that. Um, they're lucky to have two teachers at home, uh, for sure. Um, so normally at this time of year, Jamma, you would be running the Raptors pre-draft workouts. Um, different kind of uh, teaching, different, different kind of environment. Um, what's it been like kind of, I mean, I guess I'm asking you what's it been like to not do something, but have you noticed the difference where normally this time of year, it's, you know, a couple times a week at OVO running all these, you know, 50, 60 fresh faces kind of through the paces and trying to trying to get to know these kids? Yeah, it's so strange. I mean, it's such a good question because I think we all in life have these rhythms of our days and rhythms of almost like the year, right? We kind of know at this point in the year you're doing this and this point of the year you're doing that. And this has been my reality for, I don't know what, feels like, you know, at least eight, nine, ten years where I'm involved in the draft process right around this this time. Uh, so to not be doing it is definitely strange. Uh, and I think you sort of, you, you're starting to almost pine for it and want to be doing it and wishing you could be doing it because it's such a fun organizational sort of exercise we go through. And I think the Raptors are really mastered it in terms of how they evaluate the talent and bring them in and and find these different checks and balances to to sort of you know get these really great players within our system yeah the track record's certainly strong uh two questions Jamma. um the first have you been at the ovo working out with any of the players in the one-on-one setting that is currently allowed and second what are you able functionally to do from home uh as you know both in your role with raptors 905 and more broadly being you know an important voice within the raptors yeah, so so I have not gone in, so I still have not set foot in, uh, in OVO yet. Um, I think you know they're slowly sort of ramping it up, obviously, and and as more and more players, if they choose to come back, whenever that happens, there'll be more coaches needed. Um, but with the group we have right now, we sort of have a set group of coaches that yeah. are doing a great job 
and these ones. And, and I think it's been a fun process for all of us to, to sort of, and we're, we're obviously everyone's staying, you know, staying abreast of how everyone's working out and how O'Shea's shooting it and how, you know, Malcolm Miller is doing and, and all the guys that are in town. Um, and so we're all kind of aware of what's happening, but it's, it's, it's interesting because the coaches have to do it on their own, which is very different for NBA coaches. We're used to having like five rebounders and, you know, a million people on the sidelines and it's literally the player and the coach. So that's been fun for everyone to figure out what that looks like. Um, and then to your second, your second question is, is most of the work I'm doing right now is really sort of, you know, personal development and staff development, mainly of my 905 group. Uh, and we're, we're doing pretty regular calls and pretty regular communication. We've done a bunch of sort of virtual, uh, you know, podcasts and, 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 uh, coaching clinics. And there's, there's a Canadian one that's going on right now, which is super yeah. high level. We're participating in that at a really, really good sort of, um, way. Um, and then we're also, we're also getting guest speakers and we're actually spending time with the Raptors staff and we're inviting them onto calls with us and, you know, asking coach Griffin a ton of questions and, you know, what did you learn? Asking Sergio a, a bunch of questions questions from his vast experience. So it's really a chance for me to grow my own coaches uh, and give them opportunities that if we were in the season or if we were in like full draft workout time, we wouldn't have this time to really reflect and, and dive into some of the deeper nuances of the game. In terms of growing your own coaches, how is, I, I know we don't have a timeline for play or anything like that, but how exciting is it for you to see two of your coaches uh, potentially being head coaches for CEBL teams, uh, Charles Kissy and Ryan Schmidt, getting the nod as, a, as the head of Guelph and Hamilton respectively? Yeah, it's it's tremendous, right? I think it's uh, it's this really sort of amazing uh, process. And for me, I've actually it's, it's funny you ask that question. I spent a lot of time uh, reading and 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 learning from Tony Dungy uh, this season. He just became sort of someone that, that I'd really look to, and he talks a lot about mentor leadership and the sense of how do you develop your own staff, and that's such a major marker of your own success, right? And last year we had Trevor Purdy, who was my video guy, and he ended up getting you know a head coaching job at Trinity Western, uh, you know, in in U Sport, and then and then this year to see in the summer that. That both Charles and Ryan um, are are are, are going to continue and get head coaching reps and sort of learn from that. It's just this really great process that your staff can move forward and develop and move beyond where you are. I think that that's important. That's kind of what it's all about, especially at the G League level, where you're having younger coaches learning their craft and then being able to execute it. I hope you just didn't develop Trevor to the extent that they start upsetting UBC as all. Well, no, I, I, I talk to Kev a lot too, so I give him the secret. So the, 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 still, that rivalry will exist. I think we'll be okay there. <laughs> There you go. Um, Jam, I want to, if it's okay with you, I want to take it back to the pre, pre-draft pre workouts just a little bit. Um, so I know you've been heavily involved in those. And, and over time, some of the stories have come out about um, the way certain players that you guys ended up selecting uh, kind of made their mark. You know, Pascal Siakam being in kind of the secondary workout group when Jakob and Skull were working out in Buffalo and, and kind of using that as fuel to have this incredible workout or or Norman Powell kind of going head to head with Rashad Vaughn. Um, do you have any other anecdotes that you could share like that about the guys you have in or, or more broadly, um, you know, what you are looking for as an evaluator in terms of, you know, player personality or demeanor when, when those workouts are going on? Mostly I'm curious you know, I, I, I'm sure that the Raptors are going to do a, a great job making the most of, you know, the Zoom interviews and things like that. But what I'm trying to get at is what what element you maybe lose as an evaluator not getting to see these guys in that environment uh, in a workout you're running. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a good question. I think I think one of the things we've been doing organizationally is figuring out, like, what are these intangible skills that, that someone needs to have? To be part of the Raptor culture and to be to be a contributor on a Raptor team and like what you need to bring to the table and I think there's some of them are obviously the X and O based and, and sheer talent which which you can sort of see from their their college film um, and sort of watch that a bunch and talk to people that have coached them but then there are these other intangibles that are what sometimes come out in these workouts and these sort of senses of who who they really are deeper down and and you know how do they 
how do they navigate sort of difficult situations or, or how do they prosper in, in good situations? Um, and that is definitely a missing piece that the Zoom, you know, the Zoom call can't, can't quite <laughs> capture. Um, you know, and I think sometimes, you know, when you, when you get the guys a, a pretty good sweat and a pretty good lather and, and, and you really can sort of see who they are when things are going bad. You know, the, the, to me, the great example is we do this one drill where, they're, you know, they got to shoot a bunch of different shots kind of in a full court scenario and it's a time thing. Um, and once they've missed two, three or four, what do they do next? And that to me is a really great teller on, on their perseverance and who they are as a, as a young athlete uh, and watching them. Can they do they really hunt for the next one and try and make it or do they? you know, be, be defeated, be like, oh, no, I failed and, and you know, I, I can't even continue. And there's some pretty telling things that you can get from these draft workouts and, and you get to know their character too. Um, you know, I think for me, Justin Anderson is one that I remember in terms of this fun uh, interview or this fun draft workout where he was so engaged, so energetic, so personable. Uh, and then a few years later when suddenly he's, you know, there's a chance to get him on my own G League team. It's like, wow, we had this immediate connection and we both remember the workout so vividly. Um, and these are these fun connections. I think as I, as I navigate the NBA landscape now a lot of younger players on these teams I've worked out you know like and maybe they've never you know they never will play for the Raptors but but you know I, I did a workout with them and I know them and I recognize who they are and we have this nice rapport uh, because you get to know their personality more when you're when you're sweating on the court together it's been fun I, I, I usually you know I have a spreadsheet that tracks who you guys have brought in to, to work out for uh, summer league or for pre-draft or for free agent mini camps or whatever obviously I won't get to do that um, this year, but it, it's been cool to see even at the G League level, you know, you, you look back to 2016 when you guys had the ninth and 27th pick and it's like, oh, you worked out 65 guys or whatever the number was. And it's like, yeah, not all of that is necessarily for the the nine and 27 pick. It, it's kind of for developing a baseline for guys and getting to know the whole league. And then you see a, a Paul Watson or a Matt Thomas make their way into the organization and you look back and it's like, oh, yeah, you guys did work those guys out in 2017 or get a summer league look in Watson's case. Um, and, and kind of, you know, I guess you you guys can measure them against that baseline from what you saw in 2017. Uh, I know Watson's a guy that you felt strongly about. We talked we talked to Rico Hines about Paul Watson um, last week, and, and I'm just you know we I don't want to have the same conversation necessarily, but I was wondering if you could refresh us on you know your story with Paul Watson and what you saw from him as far back as a pre draft workout to now being a two way with the Raptors. Yeah, I mean, I think I remember, I think I coached the year that he was on our summer league team. So sort of, you know, I yeah. had this sense of coaching him as an athlete, like, you know, before even any of this G League thing came to came to light this year. And so in that experience, you, you learn that, listen, he, he was a really quiet kid. That hasn't changed. That's remained true the entire time. <laughs> but there was this, there was this, like, there was something there, right? And I think in summer league, we saw there was something. And if you talk to our front office and Dan Tolzman specifically, like, there's this sense of, hey, this, this kid, there's something in this kid. There's ability to shoot the ball. There's his length and his size a pretty good defensive sort of ability and good footwork. Um, and I think we just weren't sure where that was going to go. Uh, and what you did see in your, this idea you have of you set a baseline is really important because I think the Paul Watson we had at Summer League is not the Paul Watson we got three years later or two years later or whatever it was. He, he was much improved. His body had filled out. But we knew the baseline of where he could be. And I think that allowed us to say, let's take a shot on him, right, and coming to the coming to 9 to 5 this past season. Even though he didn't have great, great stellar numbers at, at uh, Westchester for two years in the G League, we kind of had seen something that gave us the sense that maybe he could be really good. Uh, and you're right. I think that longer term look at an athlete is really important. It's never just the one workout. It's never just the one interview. It's always a longer term evaluation of where have they been and where are they going. And that allows you to make really good decisions on them.
This time last year, uh, O'Shea Brissett was going through the draft process and uh, obviously didn't end up drafted, but ended up in the Raptors organization. Uh, For fans, I I mean, a lot of fans just saw him in that spurt around Christmas when when the Raptors were particularly, uh, you know, going through a bit of a health crisis and and he checked a lot of or or a few boxes in a very specific role and, and gave the Raptors, I think, more than, you know, you could hope from that type of experience. Uh, from your perspective, uh, with the 905, where he was asked to do a bit more, asked to develop a few more skills, asked to show those skills a bit more, how do you think his progress was going? And what have you heard, at least, uh, af- since he's been back in the building in OVO? Yeah, I mean, O'Shea to me is this wonderful case study of a player who is going this undrafted route, right? And I think we obviously, again, have a, have a pretty good track record of, of what we do with these athletes. But 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 O'Shea is, is right along that line of someone who, like, you know, you can see there's this great skill, great body, uh, amazing sort of lateral, lateral mobility defensively, um, pretty good instincts, really good second jump ability. Uh, you know, you look at him on the glass, offensively and defensively, he just, he just finds a way to get there and, and multiple effort stuff. Um, and I think he, he, when he first started, he was learning how to play the game. And I think you saw that, you know, through the summer league and, or, or through the, you know, this early training camp with the Raptors and, and into his 905 years uh, time, he started with how do I really learn how to play basketball at a professional level? And I think that's what he did in the first month or two. And then he figured it out. He's like, okay, this is how you play. And then he started to excel. Right? And I think in, you know, in our last 10 games in the G League, this guy was our best player by far. He was so talented and did so many things and just kept possessions alive and kept doing the right things and kept getting these big winning plays. Um, and I think he, he is really, he's pretty tenacious too. He's, he's pretty hungry for, for success. And I think you know, this, this, this time of this hiatus has been difficult for all players, obviously. Um, but I think he, he is finding a way to, and, and from the reports we're getting in his workouts, build his momentum right back again uh, to be in a place where he's, he's getting a shooting going and, and, and getting more consistent there. That's obviously the major sort of, you know, curve, you know, big curve for him to improve that shooting. Um, but just, just all the nuances of the game. He's watching a lot of film in this hiatus time and, and reevaluating the games he did play. And to listen, uh, the lessons of, of the games you've played in the past really help you in the future. And I think that's what we're spending a lot of time with him on is let's reevaluate, rewatch and, and see where you're going because, because it was pretty darn good by the end of that thing. For sure. I, I'll ask you about one more um, guy who spent a little bit of time with you guys, not on a two-way necessarily, um, kind of a, an unfortunate season for Dewan Hernandez. Obviously, the number 59 pick um, played with you guys in, in summer league and, and then had the thumb injury and then had that really bad ankle sprain, kind of not only right as he was starting to kind of hit the ground, ri- or not hit the ground running, but um, you know starting to fire on the right cylinders for you guys ahead of the G League showcase, but also when the Raptors could have used him. Uh, I know you never got him back in the lineup, but what did you see from him in the eight or nine games you had him um, pre-injury and as he was getting closer to a return? Yeah, you know, I think a very similar story to O'Shea and someone who is learning how to be a pro. And, you know, I think I think NBA basketball is different than college basketball, right? No matter how you slice it, it's just there's just a different language around and movement patterns, skill and sort of style. And I think that Dewan, you know, and he was even in coming at, coming from a shortfall because he hadn't even played the season prior to that. Um, and I think he really, in the, in his first few games with us, was just learning how do I play? Like, what, what, when do I shoot? When do I move? When do I pass? Like, you know, what are my choices that I'm making? Uh, and I think it was a big learning curve for him to decide and, and make those decisions. And to your point, like, like there's two games right before the showcase. We had one in Erie, like, directly right before. And he was really starting to cook. Like, he was starting to run the floor with, with real pace and show, I think, what 
we saw initially in terms of why we drafted him, right? This, this amazing skill is someone who's, who's a big but can really run, uh, pretty mobile, pretty good hands, um, you know, pretty good rebounder, you know, definitely developing shot blocker. Uh, and I think in his first few games, he just wasn't really in that, in that world. But, but, but he came on again pretty late. And we, man, we wish we could have kept him and, and kept going. And injuries are unfortunate. They happen. It is what it is. But uh, he's someone else who I think, you know, this hiatus time for him will be important because now this will be two years of, of not playing games, really, you know, short of the eight or nine he played with us. Uh, so he's, he's got a, a big, you know, step to, to, to take. But he, he's, he's learning a lot and he's absorbing a lot from the vets. I think him being around Marcus all this whole year has been really good for him, right? It's, it's, it helps to see Serge Ibaka work out every day. There's no question that that level of sort of almost osmosis this learning or whatever is, is valuable and hopefully you can it can come to fruition for him yeah i talked to mark and fred um on that last road trip actually before hiatus about dewan because i'd noticed that you know when when the right guys were off the bench dewan was kind of always trying to sit next to them and you could see them doing a lot of coaching in real time and i i can't imagine two guys better to to kind of pick things up from than fred in terms of you know a recent adjustment to the nba game and then mark in terms of just all the things you need to do as a big man um, zooming out a little bit from the individuals, the the season as a whole for you, your second season as coach of the 905, um, tough start, a lot of roster turnover, some in, some poor injury luck, you know, not a lot of guys assigned from from the Raptors. But right before we hit pause, you guys had really started to turn it around uh, a seven one seven and one stretch over over your last eight games to get back into a playoff spot. I don't want to take all the credit, but you know that did happen kind of right as. Uh, my my big piece after spending a week with you guys came out that seemed to uh, to light the fire for guys a, a seven and one stretch um, for you as a coach and as a competitor you know how how is your feeling about you know if that's it for the season um, how your second season with the nine oh five went um, do you consider the fact that you guys started to figure things out kind of a victory for the season if you don't get to actually play a postseason. Yeah, I mean, I think, uh, you know, as coaches, we look for motivators. So we use you, Blake, definitely, as you are our, uh, <laughs> our, our catalyst to, to switch things around. <laughs> um, no, I, I, I think that I think that for me, you know, I'll, I'll do sort of my part of it first. I think as a as a as a as a coach um, and in my second season as a head coach, uh, I, I always had way more learning this year than the first year. Right. In the first year, like, you know, incredible talent pool and Chris Boucher as the, as the MVP and defense player of the year and Jordan Lloyd, phenomenal player. Right. And just it was the first team, uh, all G League. And, and, and we really we really sort of we played really well for a lot of the year and it was it was great to coach and I learned a lot ton doing it. But I think the adversity we had earlier in the year for me was much more of a building block and much more growth that came out of it and figure out how do you manage these things and how do you sort of one, keep your roster going and keep your team moving um, from a motivational sort of like, you know, uh, energy standpoint. And two, what are the sort of X no corrections and changes you need to make just to start getting some W's on the score on, uh, you know, at the end of the, at the end of the game. And, and for me that, that process was a super valuable one because I think we tried tried a lot of things that I wouldn't have tried otherwise. And you figure out which ones work and which ones don't work. And that to me is like, you know, just critical, critical learning um, as you move forward in your coaching career. And yeah, listen, I think by the end of it, I think we'd actually figured a lot of stuff out. You know, I think we were, I don't know what the numbers were. We were like one, 11 of our last 13 or 14 or something crazy like that. And we, you know, we checked some of our numbers. We, we'd moved up to in that stretch. We we're the number one defensive team in that stretch. And we, we'd moved all the way to fifth overall for the for cumulative for the season. You know, offensively, we'd started really slow and had made some real headway there as well. So we, we really started to, to figure it out. We'd moved into a playoff position, uh, which early in the year felt like it was uh, an impossibility. Um, you know, so I think there, there definitely was growth. And I think if you, you know, what, what does success really mean to some of my, my earlier comments about, you know, staff growth, but also team growth? 
growth. And I think there was definitely success in terms of the way the players uh, developed. And, and I think our two ones that are most important in the Raptor world are sort of Paul Watson and O'Shea. And I think both were really tremendous by the stretch by the end there and playing the game the right way. And that's what you asked for as a coach. And I think if we'd had seven or eight more games to go, we probably could have solidified a playoff spot. And then who knows what's going to happen in these short playoffs that you have in the G League. Before we uh, we wrap up, you obviously have a lot of uh, contact with the Raptors coaching staff. I imagine you're talking to the players a bit and, you know, like the rest of us, you're, I imagine you're reading some of these reports saying how, if, when uh, the season might resume the NBA season. Uh, what's your sense of the excitement level, the anxiety level uh, of for the guys to return to action and, and just have a chance to to play again and and to defend this thing? Yeah, I think I think both words are true at different points. I think there there is definitely excitement. I think you know with, when we first opened up our facility and, and players are starting to come in for these one on ones, I think that sort of moved the needle a little bit to say, oh wow, like okay, we're something's happening, right? Yeah. And then uh, and then this latest sort of discussion around Orlando and and you know what format might this thing be and and uh, you know who could potentially you know who could potentially your matchup be? I was talking to Norm the other day and oh man, we could play Memphis or we could play this or we could play this or we could play this, you know like all these different permutations of what this thing could look like, and that just creates an excitement. And, and and there's something ahead. And I think in the first few first month or two, we didn't know what was ahead. And now I think there's some sense that well, at least there's something. We just got to figure out what it's going to be. Um, but I think with that does come some anxiety and some you know unsureness around one you know just the health and 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 the safety of all the people that would be participating in this. And I think that's obviously a major concern and why people are spending so much time on this and being really vigilant around it. Um, and I think for the athletes too, like you know most athletes have never done this in their life. Like I'm talking from when they were like five years old of this long of inactivity. Um, and I think their bodies are going to, you know, it's going to take a while to get back to, to being the super elite level athletes and performers that they, that they are. Um, and I think there, there obviously is some innate anxiety and sort of, you know, worry around that. But I think that's part of this, the plan that with our medical group and, and, and our, you know, strength team and our psych team and everyone that you find a way to get everyone to the right page when they need to be. And I think that's the exciting journey that hopefully we can go on here in, in a few months. All right, Jamma, one, one more on the on the coaching development side, um, just before we let you go here. Uh, Tamara Tatham is going to be named, or, or was named rather, the uh, interim coach of U of T basketball. How excited does that make you as someone who had her as a, as a I, think, I think the term was mentor coach, um, with you just not that long ago and, and given your own roots in Canadian basketball? Yeah, it's, it's so exciting. You know, I talk all the time about these great Canadian coaches that are there, and Tamara is just this other wonderful example of that. And I think someone who really brings experience as a player, right? She just had like two-time Olympian, and she's been everywhere, seen everything, uh, and had such skill on the basketball court. And the last two seasons, she's really figured out what that means for her as a coach as well. Uh, and I think, you know, she was part of my program and just did a really good job and just built rapport with the players right away. I think they, they recognized her excellence on the floor, and that, that got her sort of like in the door right away. Uh, and I think she's done a ton of stuff with Canada basketball and will continue building you know in their coaching sort of uh, platform as well and I just wish her the best of luck I think U of T is a it's a great situation for her to be in and be in the city and really sort of um, you know get some good athletes in there and figure some things out and, and just continue to hone her craft as a coach she's committed so much of her life to basketball so there's a great next step for her and, and just super excited for uh, for her journey the JAMA coaching tree getting getting <laughs> roots everywhere branches everywhere I love it I love it I love it that's great because you a couple of uh, a couple of the assistants are going to do the CBL under Charles and Ryan as well, right? Yeah, no, they're everyone's everyone's growing. I think we're all all the coaches are moving forward here, right? Charles Dubay, a really good coach, probably the yeah. probably the best the best out of Quebec. I think that you know best coach that's been produced out of Quebec, and he's he's making a lot of noise and doing a lot of stuff. So it's fun. It's a good group of people. It's fun to coach with them. Yeah, and yourself right among there. 
you know, yeah, two, exactly. uh, two seasons with the 905 now, um, you know, that's, uh, it's great. It's, it's awesome to see, you know, obviously I, I think I remember, you know, two years ago talking to you about roster decisions and you, you kind of joke that, you know, you don't put Canadians over Americans. Maybe it's a tiebreaker, uh, if two guys are, or two, two people are, are pretty equal, but it's, it's been a fun wrinkle of the 905 especially and I, I think it's gotten more and more of a focus over the course of five years that um, there are these deep connections to Toronto basketball and to Canadian basketball and you know having a, a staff heavy on Canadians that are trying to or, or Americans in Ryan's case that are trying to kind of connect with with Canada basketball uh, at more levels than just the G League is really awesome to see so um, thank you for your contributions on the the Canadian basketball side and thank you for doing this podcast man this was a lot of fun no, E. Blake, it's awesome. You guys do such a good job. It's fun listening to your stuff and, and happy to be part of it. Thanks, Jamma, so much and stay safe and uh, try not to go too stir crazy in the house. I will try not to. The kids keep me busy. So that, that helps at least, <laughs> which is good. <laughs> All right. Thanks so much, Jamma. And guys, thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next week. See ya. See ya.